Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so here we go. This is something I think is worth hearing. Uh, I think so, anyway. First and Second Corinthians. You remember we're talking about that? Who remembers what we're going to talk about when we uh, when we finish this series? When we finish Second Corinthians? Hey, there you go. You guys are so smart. So smart. So, remember I had a bunch of questions, and I said, you know, bring your paper and your pen or your pencil. Uh, we're going to answer those questions. It's it's hard questions. Yes, ma'am. Anything? Oh. Um, it's it's uh, Some of them are hard things, and some of them are not so hard. The question we ended up on, let me see here. Talking about wisdom. And then, and then, we got all the way to the not very controversial questions. What is the difference between the spiritual and the worldly brothers in the first part of 1 Corinthians 3? And I thought about that. The spiritual and the worldly brothers. What's the difference between them? And this is what I came up with. We confound human wisdom when we speak to heavenly spiritual wisdom that cannot be explained in the natural we may face ridicule from people of this world however we must forge ahead because worldly people without god see our wisdom as utter and complete nonsense if we seek hard after the mind of christ we will be without peers and we will have the counsel of the wise one yeshua and the ruach HaKodesh. in the beginning stages of our journey of faith we cannot understand these things of God as we do if we follow hard after him. We're like babies in the beginning. We just don't know much. And worse, we don't know that we don't know much. How many of you know that's the worst place to be in, not knowing that you don't know? And I know I've been there a whole bunch of times. And I've been humbled. That's your home address. You've been there. It's your home address. I stay there. <laughs> it's the ultimate low information voter. They don't know and they don't know that they don't know. Man, I'm going to steal that for one of my shows. That's a good point. They don't know, and they don't know that they don't know. And they don't care that they don't know. They think they do know, but they don't know. We're like babies in the beginning. We don't know much and worse. We don't know that we don't know much. In the beginning, we quarrel and we're jealous because we're all still measuring everything in worldly measurements. I got more Jesus than you. I got more Holy Spirit up in me than you. But we must hunger and thirst after righteousness, the very things of God, in order to better understand His wisdom, regardless of the world's claims or even the science of the human understanding. The test of our faith ultimately comes in our work. What is important enough for us to truly expend ourselves for? Is it the work of God or is it the work of the world? And when I say that word, expend, I think a lot of times we... I just don't know that we get what that word... Have you ever expended yourself? You spent. You ever, you ever say, somebody says, Oh, how you doing? Whew, I'm spent. Anybody show of hands? Nod your head. There you go. Yeah, you're, you're, you're wiped out. 
You're wiped out. Some of you, when you come here, you're wiped out, but you still come. It's amazing. You're on your last leg, but you come. I know our hosts, sometimes they're just wore out, but they host it with grace and love. So I have to say, you know, uh, when, when we talk about expending ourselves, we got to know that's a serious thing. When you expend yourself, that's big, folks. That's, that's not, oh, I, I gave a good try. I tried a little bit. Eh, I worked at it a little bit. Didn't work. How many, how many of you have ever expended yourself for something that didn't work out? Yeah? Your whole life. That's her story and she's sticking to it. That's her address. You've expended yourself and stuff didn't work out. I would say to you, there's a whole lot of people in this world, and, I, and I'll say specifically in the Christian world, who don't know what it is to expend themselves, to try hard. I bust on pastors a lot for that because pastors... Uh, are are just horribly unprepared a lot of times. They're horribly unprepared a lot of times. Their heart's unprepared. Their study is poor. Uh, but if you talk to them, oh, man, I'm just wearing, I'm killing it. I'm just, whew, I can barely walk. You know? Meanwhile, so much is undone. I'm not saying all pastors like that, and I'm not saying I put myself above anybody, but I'm just saying that's the facts. I mean, there's, there's a lot of laziness up in the church. How many of you have been in churches where you were the only one, you and about five or six other people, the only one seemed to ever do anything? Something needs doing, you're always the one. Or the same five or six or ten people, always the ones. But you're not the loudest one to complain ever. You're the ones you should go and you do it. You, put your, you expend yourself for Christ and His people and His kingdom. And there's other people that sit in the chairs and complain about how hard they are and how long they're sitting there, and how bad the music, oh, it's too loud, oh, it's too quiet, too many guitars, too many drums, piano's too loud, you know, preacher talk too long, the temperature's not good, it's too hot, it's too cold, he always asks for money too much, he doesn't ever ask for money, you know, these lights are too bright, there's light out, light's been out for about five weeks now, nobody's fixed it, somebody ought to do something about that, look at this carpeting here looking shabby, you know, they're the ones complaining the loudest. They don't do anything. You're not those people. You clearly are not those people. You're the people that step to the task. You know what it is to expend. When I was writing this, I knew that you were people that knew what it is to expend yourself for something. And I will say this to you, that I knew there would be a lot of hands raised, a lot of head bobbing, a lot of memories flashing across your head, across your mind, about that thing you really worked so hard for and it didn't work out a lot of people work on elections i know this firsthand it didn't work out you know it just didn't work out it didn't rule in your favor so what you know ask yourself this and as i move on ask yourself what is important enough for you to truly expend yourself for is it the work of god or the work of the world there's a lot of people that will kill it they'll kill themselves for something they can show, um, there's something they could show for it. 
You know, I like mowing the grass. It's good exercise. I like being outside. I grew all that grass. I like mowing the grass. And I like when I'm finished to look at the grass and say, that looks nice. I have something to show for that. I like planting flowers and bushes and trees and saying, hmm, I like that. I like that I can see, you know, when you Christmas decorate. Our house is decorated for Christmas now. I like looking around and seeing all the pretty decorations. You, you see, you see the results of your labors. But sometimes in stuff we do in church and in our personal faith life, sometimes you just don't, um, you don't see anything. You don't, there, you just don't see the fruits of your labors for a long, long time. Your thing's getting ready to fall off there. Oh, there we go. Okay, it's on. Um, that's okay. I just saw his thing. It looked like it was moving. Um, but uh, so you, so you, you work at something, work at something, work at something, and you don't see it. You don't see. You mow the grass. You, 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 you know. You cook a meal. What do you do at the end of the cooking the meal? You get to eat it, and then clean up. But you know, if that meal was good, you don't mind cleaning up because you're like. That meal was good. That food was good, y'all. But if it was terrible, it didn't work out, you're like, oh. the dishes are just that much dirtier when, when the meal wasn't that good. But how good is it when somebody else cooks it for you? Right? That's great. If it's me cooking, I'm going to dirty every dish. I will dirty every dish. I believe in that. I'm getting amens from the back. But the fact is, is, I was interested to see this, and, and uh, we were in some very affluent places this week, this past week, and we were in some very poverty-stricken places. And, you know, you can look at the very affluent places and, and look at that and say, wow, you know, whew, the fruits of their labors are fine and great and wonderful. And then you're in really poor places. Is that to say those people don't work? They don't work hard? No. doesn't mean that at all. I wonder, I wonder how hard it is to come home and see you have so little. Maybe, maybe, especially people that work in the coal mines and different places, it's rough. It's rough living. Farmers, farmers, helpers, you know, farmhands, come home dog tired. You're expended. They have to wait a long time to see the fruits of their labors, don't they? They plant at one season and harvest at another. Well, what about it's, if it's the work of God? The spiritual seeks to fulfill God's will. His mission, his work, no matter what that looks like. Sometimes God's work is gritty. And frankly, to the world, it's utter nonsense. They see how hard we work for the kingdom, and they laugh at us. I have relatives and friends that are at church all the time. They have a drug problem. Their kids have a drug problem. They get drugged to church every time the doors are open. You know, it's true. And, and they're there all the time, working, working. Nobody ever sees what they do. Nobody ever asks, you know, how's this lawn get mowed every week? How do these bushes get trimmed? How do these flowers get planted every spring? Uh, you know, how come, the, how come the floors are so clean? How come the bathrooms are so clean? How's that happen? But you let them be dirty one time. You let the grass be a little high one time. People will speak up, won't they? It's not them saying, hey, I noticed the grass is high. I happen to have a lawnmower. I'm going to help mow up this grass. Not make a big scene out of it. Just come and mow the grass. The bathrooms might be dirty one time in church. Listen, let me tell you something. A dirty church will send folks out of there. You have visitors come. You let them go in a dirty restroom. You let them take their children, if they have children, 
take them to a, a, a nursery that's not well staffed and smells bad. They'll not be back. They'll not be back. People in this room are the people that would see a need and fill it quietly. They in the world and many earth-playing Christians think God's work is nonsense because their eyes are closed to the wisdom of God. Ours must always be open and receptive, but most importantly, obedient to the word and the wisdom of God. Sometimes you're told to do something by God that makes no sense. If your heart and your mind is open to the wisdom of the Lord, you just do it. I think John and Diane, is a, they're a perfect example. If you could see the difference in their countenance, it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. How much they laugh, they grin ear to ear, they're healthier, they're certainly much happier. It's just, it's just a neat thing. And let me tell you something. That made no sense. Who's going to be honest in the room and say, that them selling their home and leaving very good jobs that they were very good at and wouldn't ever lose to sell just about everything they have, pack up, and move hours and hours and hours away to a place they've never lived before. Wait, to the world, that's nuts. But God kept dripping on them, saying, this is what I want you to do. I need you to be obedient no matter what it looks like. And they did it. Who's laughing now, you know, because they have friends at their jobs, you know, workmates and stuff that said, you're out of your mind. Who told you to do this? Are you hearing voices? Should you really be carrying a gun? Because that doesn't sound healthy. Who's laughing now? Almost everything we do in the spirit to people in the natural is crazy. Okay, so question number four. I think we beat that to death. Specifically, I beat that to death. What should a believer who is married to an unbeliever do, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 24? Ooh. I had some thoughts on this one. This area of personal life management, according to the world, is pure folly in the age of no-fault divorces. And a divorce rate, many of you will be surprised to hear, that even in the church is climbing well above 50%. Do you know that the divorce rate among professing Christians is four points higher, four percent higher than it is in the secular world, people that don't identify themselves with that? Now, let me say this. Let me clear up a bit of, of mystery for a lot of folks. And you guys are smart. You know that you know this probably already. Um, divorce is not a new thing. It was way more prevalent in this time of this letter, just so you know. Way more prevalent. There's folks divorcing folks. Oh, you burnt the cookies. You know, you're out of here. You know, type of thing. There was just really, it was rampant. It was rampant. Uh, so, so don't don't get it in your mind that that this divorce business is a new thing. We did go through a period in this country, several several decades ago, before the '60s, that we really were kind of level, and it, there was a time frame. Uh, in the 30s and 40s where the divorce rate went markedly down. And among Christians, professing Christians, it was very low. Was, lots changed. We know what happened in the end of the 50s and 60s. We know a lot of stuff that happened. It's, 
It's continued today. We always think it's not going to get any worse, but it does. We always say, we'll let, we'll let the liberals have this part of society because you know what? That they won't get more than that. They won't hurt anything. And they do. It's not just liberals, though. It's conservatives who claim, who talk to talk, but don't walk the walk. Paul says to remain married to the unbelieving spouse if they have not abandoned the believing spouse. If, in the case of abandonment, the believing spouse so choose if the now if in the case of abandonment the believing spouse so chooses to reject enslavement to the condition foisted upon them without their will or contribution they can as they say move on well what that is 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 listen you know there are certain circumstances which are are awful circumstances they're horrible uh, uh virtual enslavement you know, I, I know of a person right now that, that you know, the spouse is, is a, a, a raging alcoholic. You know, a beast, a beast to be around, dangerous to be around. A horrible person to be around. There's so much more to that than I can even say, but uh, the, the bottom line is it's just a horrible, horrible situation. And Paul says that if the unbelieving spouse has not abandoned the believing spouse, let's use ab- abandonment uh, you know, as an issue. You, c- you can choose to remain married to whomever you want. It's your choice. To choose to remain married, your choice. However, let's say in the case of abandonment, the... the um, I'm trying to trying to put this in such a way that it makes sense to you. Let's say the believing spouse says, "Look, I'm I'm not going to be enslaved here. I'm not going to be, you know, this condition. I did nothing to warrant this. Um, you know, I I know a lady who who experienced that, and for ten years she stayed single, or you know, stayed well, she was married to to her spouse, and then her spouse divorced her." Um, and she said, I'm, I won't remarry. You know, I pray God gets get you help. I'll do all I can. I'm not going to let you abuse me. But you're my husband. Ten years. Ten years. He had moved on, married another person. One day God got a hold of him. A period of, I know this sounds strange to say, but I know these people personally. Uh, God got a hold of him in a period of utter drunkenness. And spoke to him that when he was sober, he remembered it clear as a bell. He told his girl, live-in girlfriend, listen, this is, you know, i got to make this right. You know, you're going to have to go your way. I'll help you with that, but we, this is not happening anymore. And then he courted his now wife again, because he divorced her. And they're married now. I mean, that's, you know, whatever path. I mean, that's that's your choice. But if that spouse decides to say, and Paul gives this, that, you know what, I'm not going to stay in this. I'm moving on. I'll pray for you, but I'm moving on. He gives them latitude to do that. As Paul says, we just never know, though, when we might beneficially impact for the kingdom of our unbelieving spouse. You just never know. You never know. You know, that's such a silly saying in a sense, isn't it? 
We say, well, you just never know. Well, of course you never know. We don't see around corners. You know, we don't know how something is going to turn out because we're not God. Well, you just never know what good can come of something. It's a silly saying. It's a silly saying. One thing we do know is if you, you behave horribly, you live horribly, you abuse people, you're rude to people, you do unhealthy, horrible things, guess what? We do know it's not going to turn out well for you. It's not going to turn out well for you. But you just never know what's going to happen. You pray for a spouse, you pray for a spouse, you just never... Listen, this side of heaven, that spouse may never turn their eyes upon Jesus. They may never change their ways. They may never do that. Paul, Paul gives... Paul gives latitude in that. He clarifies the scripture. Paul also goes on to teach that if you're going to get caught up in a lot of drama from the world, in looking for and finding another mate to replace your unbelieving mate, and, and if that pursuit would cause us to lose our focus on God, you should just remain unmarried. Just stay unmarried. I don't have it right here in front of me, but... Uh, next or the next time we get together, I'm going to go through verse by verse and tether these. But I wanted to get this part out. Um, so if that pursuit would cause us to lose our focus on God, we should remain unmarried. Every marriage has its share of problems, and we shouldn't seek to escape the stress of normal married life when the times get tough. But you know what? Sometimes it is way different than just the normal stress of everyday married life. I'm going to just tell you right now, if if you know of somebody whose spouse is putting their hands on them in a not loving way, mm -mm. let me tell you what, in the community, in the Hebrew community, that won't go well for that person. A lot of people have this impression that the the in the scriptures it details a minimization of women uh, as, ch as mere chattel in the Hebrew community. Nothing can be further from the truth. And that community, they see that happening, they find out that's happening, that you're abusing your spouse, Ooh, woe unto you. Woe unto you. If you have a business, folks will stop dealing with you. They'll stop coming to you. They'll stop buying your goods. You provide a service, they'll stop using your service. And you'll get talked to. The elders will talk to you. It's how we kind of should do it in this society, but we don't do it. Why? Why don't we do it? Politically correct. We say, no, we can't. That's, you know, it's none of my business. Really? Anyway, what are the rights of apostleship? We're going to do this and we'll be finished. What are the rights of apostleship according to chapter 9? I'm going to buzzsaw through these and then next time we get together we're going to revisit these. So don't fear, it's, it'll all be explained. Don't we have the right to be given food and drink? Don't, this is chapter 9, remember, don't we have the right to take along with us a believing wife as do the other emissaries, also the Lord's brothers and Kepha or Peter? Or are Barnaba and I the only ones required to go on working for our living? Did you ever hear of a soldier paying his own expenses? Well, kind of, yes, in this society, under this administration, yeah. You're going to learn over the coming weeks on my show and in here. I'm going to tell you things that are absolutely true, totally verified them, vetted them, you know, completely and absolutely true, that you will not believe what our soldiers are being asked to pay for. It's sickening. And what they're not being given because there's not enough money for it. A freshman congressman makes $174,000 a year to start. Our soldiers are at the poverty level until they're promoted five times. The stuff they're asked to buy 
with their own dimes they have so so little of will disgust you. Or a farmer planting a vineyard without eating its grapes, who shepherds a flock without drinking some of the milk? What I am saying is not based merely on human authority because the Torah says the same thing. For in the Torah of Moshe, or Moses, it is written, You are not to put a muzzle on an ox when it is treading out the grain. If God is concerned about cattle, all the more does he say this for our sakes. Yes, it was written for us, meaning that he who plows and he who threshes should work, expecting to get a share of the crop. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others are sharing in this right to be supported by you, don't we have a greater claim to it? But we don't make use of this right. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so as to not impede in any way the good news about the Messiah. Now, let me say this about that. Him saying we don't make use of this right. I know somebody right now that thinks when they are they're thinking about telling somebody something, they think about it really, really hard, but they don't actually tell them. But in their mind, they thought so hard about saying that thing to that person who's wronged them that they think they actually said it to them. It happens a lot. You think stuff in your mind, it's you, you think you've addressed it with this person. And finally, you get so torqued and so hot and so mad that you're around the person, you can't take it anymore, and you blow them up. You smoke them with your, and they're like, what is all this about? I thought we were friends. I don't know what you're talking about. You never said anything. Oh, yes, I did. No, you never did. And then finally when you realize, oh, I never did. Well, you should have known. We get these stupid big fights. Well, you know, listen, Paul can't complain when he says here, but we don't make use of this right. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so as to not impede in any way the good news about the Messiah. Here's a newsflash for you. In this case, you know, listen, nobody can ever accuse Paul of whining, but I know a lot of pastors that use this. They have needs. I know of I know of a pastor right now, he's not a pastor anymore, that his kids were starving. Not because he wasn't willing to work. I mean, he worked his fingers to the bone. But his kids were hungry. They were skinny and they were hungry. And he was trying to figure every way under the sun he could support his family. Pastor of an actual church with a budget and a building and deacons and organs and whatnot. I said, brother, did, have you said anything to them? No, no, no. I just, you know, wouldn't be right. I just, well, then stop complaining to me. Suck it up, buttercup. Don't don't complain to me about this condition if you're unwilling to tell the very people that can impact your condition. Don't tell me. Well, yeah, but aren't brothers supposed to, you know, share each other's burden? No. You know who's supposed to share this burden with you? Your church. You reckon they know? You reckon they know that your family's eating two meals a day because you can't afford a third? Do you reckon they know that you've lined your shoes on the inside underneath the little uh, little insole with duct tape because otherwise the cold of the ground gets through your shoe? You think they know that? Well, no, no. I wouldn't want them to know that. I don't want them to feel bad. Okay, then why are you saying it to me? If it's a condition you've accepted as okay, then this statement, but we don't make use of this, right? No, no, no. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so as to not impede in any way the good news about the Messiah. Listen, I know a lot of people, 
I, I believe, I can't, what do I know about Paul? But I can't say I know his heart, but I can say from his other writings and the things he's done for the gospel, I think his heart was in the right place. But I know a lot of guys and a lot of people out there who will take a whole boatload of crap from people, won't say a word to them because they say, well, I don't like confrontation. They'll suffer a lot of hurt. They won't say anything to those very people that can adjust that situation, that can attend to that hurt or that need. They won't say anything. You say, well, you know, I don't want to mess up the gospel. I don't want to impede. I don't want to be an obstacle. Folks, in the church, we have to learn to bring our concerns about stuff to each other in a way that can be handled. We're grown folks. We're grown folks. Churches break up over the dumbest things. Splits happen over the dumbest things. Let me say this, though. Some of the greatest churches of all time came from a split-up church. Some of the greatest of all time. I remember growing up, uh, we had a pastor easily had the greatest impact on me. Pastor Irving Sparrow. God bless him. And, you know, he came uh, to our church as a new pastor. They hired him in. And, you know, he saw the potential that this church could do. And he saw what we weren't doing. And he said, you know, we have all this land over here. Land one day around here is going to be real expensive. I can't believe it's not more expensive than it is now. We could use that to raise money for the kingdom. Or we could use that land and put in a senior center, a Christian senior center, so we could care for old folks the way that we should be. We could put in a school. We could start a school and educate not only all your kids here so they don't have to deal with the, 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 the public education, the, the crap they're being taught, and we could put in a Christian school and teach them a biblical worldview. We could hire great teachers and we could bring them in. We could teach your kids and we could teach the kids of this community. Give the community an alternative, a great alternative. There's no other Christian school within 45 minutes to an hour. We could do that. We have the resources right here in this church to do that. We could do things out in the community. We could bring people in here and do things for them. We could give people coats that don't have coats. We could feed people that don't have food. We could witness and welcome people. We could witness to and welcome people in this community. The unlovely in this community. We could do that. We could do that in this church. I believe that's what God has called me here to do. It was too much. Man, these folks said, you know what? We've had this country club a whole long time. I don't want to have to do that. First of all, the people you're talking about us working on and dealing with, ew. You know, who wants that? Let me tell you what, they ran that dude out on a rail after starting a Christian school and a radio ministry that was very successful. Blessing, bringing hundreds to Christ. They ran that sucker out. Because you know what? After a while, they get tired of the work. They get tired of the obligation. They get tired of the expectation of, hey, we are in this. We are not coming to church. We are the church. You know what else they got, called, got tired of? Being called on stuff. Being confronted. And saying, hey, you know, you're a plumber. I hear you're a really good plumber. You're a very successful plumber. We have some plumbing needs in the in the little Christian school over there. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to maybe on a Saturday or on a day off, would you be willing to come in and spend some time and, and help us with that? We can't afford to hire anybody. We can't afford to pay you. 
Little did they know they're barely paying him. Oh, no, no. I hunt on Saturdays. I, I go hunt for food for my family. Really? Is that why your truck's always at the bar at the corner on Saturday morning at 10 when they open? Now, what do you think? Do you think he was right to call him out on that? Do you think maybe that was a little embarrassing for that guy? I talked to my son this week about something that had to do with embarrassment. He goes, you know what embarrasses me when you do this? I said, you know what embarrassment is a great tool. It's a great learning tool. We've taken it out of every aspect of society. We don't want anybody to be embarrassed. We don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. What do you think about that pastor? He happened to drive by on Saturdays on his way to the old folks' home. We, what do we call them now? Assisted living? Nursing home. Nursing home. He was on his way there. He, goes, he, he went every Saturday, and he drove by this one particular bar every Saturday, and he noticed this fella, his truck. Couldn't, couldn't mistake it, although he tried to park around the side. He was there. Do they have plumbing problems? Wow. Are they a good client of yours? Because you're there every Saturday. Now, you might think that that was rude. I love it. I love it. If I'm falling down, if I'm doing something wrong, I need somebody to help me. Because if I don't know it, or I know it, and I, I don't want to know it, sometimes we need people to come along and go alongside of us and say, you know what? You're going the wrong direction, brother. This pastor, this great pastor who, who went on to do amazing things in North Carolina, this pastor was giving him an opportunity. He gave him an out. He said, they must be a great client or have terrible plumbing because <laughs> every Saturday morning by 10 your truck is there well this guy got so hopping mad he wanted to punch this man in his mouth he wanted to punch he did he wanted to punch him right in his mouth now this is one of the pillars of the church oh he wants to punch him right in the mouth I can't believe you said that to me you got a lot of nerve now I got a lot of love I got a lot of love for you because something clearly is wrong if you're spending every Saturday at a bar, I guarantee you, you come here, I'll be here on the Saturdays you come and you help us with our plumbing problems. I'll be here with you. And anything you need to talk about, I'll hand you tool after tool. As long as you tell me what tool it is, you hand me the tool, I'll help you. And I'll help your heart. Whatever's wrong with you, whatever's causing you to go there to that bar, I'll come alongside with you. And he did it. He did it with so many people in that church. And he did get punched. He, he got punched on several occasions. He wasn't ignorant about it. I don't mean to tell you he was ignorant. Because he wasn't. Very humble man. And he was little. He was her size. But he just was fearless. He said, well, I get my teeth knocked out, I get my teeth knocked out. I'll be the toothless pastor. He won't be able to say Thessalonians, will he? But he did that over and over and over. But you know what? A after comes a time, people in this modern world, and I hate to say this, this modern church, they're afraid. They don't want to be confronted. I, I looked at what he did, and, and he became one of my heroes. Not because he, was, he wasn't a religious Rottweiler, not by a long stretch. Not by a long stretch. He wanted to give the guy an out. Hey, I'm going to help you. What can I help you with? Let's talk. Let's work and talk. Let's make good use of your time and my time. Anyway, that's what I thought of when I read that.
This will be the last one. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrifices offered there? In the same way, the Lord directed those who proclaim the good news should get their living from the good news. Uh, I don't know which verse it is. It's all bunched together. I think it's chapter 9. So, here's the thing. And I know normally this is not the point of this particular passage. But it, it was the point for me. Honest to goodness, it was the point for me. I think in this church, in this, in this kehala, uh, we don't have these problems because we look out for each other. We help each other. We love on each other. When there was a need for music, tired as Steve is when he comes here, yeah, I'll play. When there was a need for a for a uh, somebody to share the emails, because you all know I suck at all that. I'm terrible. I don't know how to do it. I'm I, listen. I'm barely lucky this thing is recording. I know my computer laughs at me. I can hear it. I can almost hear it. I'm just not good at that kind of thing. But he said, "Hey, I'll do that." The other things we put out there that hey, we're running out of. Uh, we're running out of plastic goods and, and, you know, the forks and knives and stuff. And you all came right to the batter's box. Water. Do you guys notice Bill brings water almost every week? Every week he's here. A whole case of water. Every week. You guys notice that? You guys bring food. Some of you, I know your financial situation. And I know you don't have money to be buying extra stuff for food. But you do it. You do it every week. And you bring good food. You don't bring junk food. You bring not your least but your best. Some of you put money in that little donation thing for me and my family in the back. And I know you don't have a whole lot of money. I know you don't. It, it blows me away. It's so humbling I can't begin to tell you. There's churches all across this country. I, I'm telling you this. There's churches all across this country that they have tremendous resources right in the pews and their people, there's just 10% maybe of their people that are doing anything. That's not this kehala. You guys are radically different. And I'll say this, you're to be commended. But on top of that, when you go to other places, other churches, maybe you have another church other than here, which is, which is totally cool. When you go there, look around and notice. Notice the need. You can't fill every need. You know, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something, as President Reagan said. That's in every area of your life. Little things. If you see trash, this is a big thing. If you see a piece of paper that's fallen on the floor, don't walk past it. Just bend over and pick it up. Just pick it up. You know, a clot of dirt maybe comes off of somebody's shoe as you walk in the church. Just pick it up. It doesn't kill you. Simple. Because you don't know that guest that comes in. You see somebody, speaking of guests, you see somebody to come in. And you haven't seen them before. They come in every week and they kind of sneak in the back and they slither over there and they try to sit where nobody can get to them. And then as soon as the thing is, you know, come to the last song of the invitation, last verse of the invitation, they are out. Find a way to engage them. Don't weird them out. Don't stalk them or anything. Don't cut their tires. But, oh, I see you have a flat tire. You know, just find a way to engage them. Little by little, inch by inch. That's just my two cents. 
I think first and first and second Corinthians has a lot to say about the Corinthian church, absolutely. But let me tell you, it has a lot to say to us too. Some of it is stomping on our toes and some of it's encouraging us. I think we can see it a little bit of both. And we can take that. I think myself personally, one of the things I've committed to being better at is handling getting my toes stomped on. Handling being chastised and saying, hey, you should think about doing this differently. With my health, I can tell you it's humbling. Very, very humbling. Very humbling. No, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. You watch and see. No, can't do that. Or let's put it this way. You shouldn't do that. And if you try to do that too many times, you'll never be able to try it again. Humbling. Took people who, many of whom are in this in this room, to say to me, hey, think long term. Don't be stupid. You got to use plain language with me too, right in the big crayon. I always say that about God. God, when he's talking to me, he needs to use that big crayon. Those big fat sidewalk chalk, you know, and write in real big letters. That's what I need. Maybe all of us need that. Let's pray. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.